Good evening and welcome to the Central Library. I'm Carla Hayden, CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library, and we are very pleased that you could be here tonight for a very special edition of our Writers Live series. Tonight we're joined by a great journalist and a very talented writer. His new book, American Wasteland, How America Throws Away Nearly Half of Its Food and What We Can Do About It, is getting, as they say in the business, a lot of buzz. He has discussed his book on WYPR and WEAA, in fact, I think just a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, and so we're very excited to have him here at the Central Library tonight. Please welcome author Jonathan Bloom. No. Now that was just to say, hello. I have some more. Because we are very, very fortunate um, to have wonderful partners. And tonight, the United Way of Central Maryland, Wesleyan University, and the JHU Center for a Livable Future have joined us tonight, and we just want to thank them for their support. Tonight, to, and it says here, uh, just use this opportunity for one plug. And so that one plug is that this Thursday night, we also will be joined by MSNBC and hardball ball host Chris Matthews. He'll be here um, at the Central Library to discuss his new book, Jack Kennedy, Elusive Hero. And also Steve Jobs, biographer Walter Isaacson, will be here on April 14th for the City Lit Festival. And former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright will be here as well on May 10th to discuss her new book. So you see, Mr. Bloom, we're excited you're here and you have really added to this illustrious group. You can also follow us on prattlibrary.org and of course, Facebook and Twitter. Now I mentioned our partners tonight. And so we are very pleased that United Way of Central Maryland has not only provided funding for our summer reading program, but also we have the president and CEO of United Way of Central Maryland, Mr. Mark First, to introduce our special guest. Hi, everybody. I have a double honor tonight. I get to follow Dr. Carla Hayden. So many good things are happening in Baltimore, thanks to the library system and your leadership, doctor. So thank you for having us and having us all. And I get to introduce our guest speaker. Um, Jonathan Bloom is a journalist and a food waste expert. His book, American Wasteland, was published in October of 2010 and won the International Association of Culinary Professionals Green Matters Award in June 2011. He founded and writes the blog, wastedfood.com. He regularly gives public lectures on the problem of food waste, speaking at colleges and conferences from Indiana at Notre Dame to Italy, uh, the Barilla Food Nutrition Conference. He also consults on food waste reduction, most recently working with the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization and several startups. He grew up in Boston, we'll forgive you for that, and attended Wesleyan University. After working as a freelance journalist for years, he enrolled in the master's program at UNC Chapel Hill as a Park Fellow. There he grew passionate about the topic of food waste and began researching it. Upon graduation, he stayed in North Carolina to work on his book and his southern accent. <laughs> Calling himself an accomplished eater and mediocre composter, 
Mr. Bloom has covered both serious and quirky topics related to food and the environment. His work has appeared in none other than the New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, Boston Globe, Newsweek, and others. He now lives in Durham, North Carolina with his family, including a five-week-old uh, son. Isn't that great? Uh, and he says, many, many containers of leftovers. Um, I'm reading his uh, book on my Kindle, so he can't sign it, but maybe, as you said before, there's an app for that. Um, <laughs> please welcome, on behalf of the Pratt Library, Wesleyan, Johns Hopkins Center for Liberal Future and United Way, our speaker tonight, Mr. Jonathan Bloom. Hello, good evening. Thank you so much for that kind introduction, Mark. And I wanted to thank the, the Pratt Library for, for having me and the United Way for making it possible. In addition, Wesleyan University, a fine institute of education, and also coincidentally my alma mater, and Johns Hopkins, the Center for a Livable Future. So I wanted to start out by showing you some pictures that I took from the reception beforehand of food not eaten. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't do that to you. I'm not that kind of guy. Uh, I, I wanted to start out on a, a slightly different tack. Um, I wanted to, to take a step back and reflect upon the state of environmentalism today. And uh, in particular, I wanted to think about how certain environmental causes or issues are readily adopted while others are not. And from where I stand, it can be a bit strange which issues really take off and which ones languish. So for example, Here's a piece of paper, pristine, unused, and now it's trash. Or is it? I guarantee you in every community in America, I could frustrate, maybe even anger someone by throwing it away instead of recycling it. Same goes for this can of soda. Now, if I were to go like this, littering, then not only would I be going against society's mores, but I'd be breaking the law. At the same time, in every community in America, wasting food is not only widespread, it's accepted. So why that discrepancy? Well, when we have behaviors that we deem worth changing, we often create campaigns to do so. For example, the litterbug campaign to keep me from doing that kind of thing. And it seems like every city and town has their own little recycling mascot and campaign. And that has not happened with food waste, at least not since World War II. Now, the thing about these campaigns is that we've internalized the messages to an extent that we'll feel guilty for throwing away that can instead of recycling it. But that can of soda could never impact someone's life like a can of soup might. And even sending hundreds of cans to the landfill instead of recycling them, while unfortunate, is nowhere near as heartbreaking as the daily dumping of, say, rotisserie chickens that happens behind most supermarkets. So I draw this parallel not to denigrate recycling 
or to get you littering again. I, pr <laughs> I promise I'll pick that can up at the end of the talk. But rather to show that when we set our mind on affecting change, we're quite good at it. So for me, that's exciting because I believe we're about to turn our attention toward the waste of food. And I think it will be the next big green thing. So hopefully, by the end of tonight's talk, I'll convince you that not only is food waste an issue worth tackling, but it's one that we can really conquer. Okay, so let me step down off my soapbox for a second, tell you a few things about myself. Uh, believe it or not, I did not set out to become a food waste expert. Uh, I, I can't imagine I knew such thing existed. But I approached this topic as a journalist, and somewhere in the course of writing about, uh, about wasted food and in doing the book, I, I turned into more of an activist. Uh, but I try and balance the two. Um, but this project really stemmed from an experience I had at a place not too far from here called DC Central Kitchen. And that's a food recovery organization in our nation's capital. For those who aren't aware of that term, basically what that means is they will go out and rescue food that's perfectly edible, perfectly healthy stuff, but for some reason is not going to be used. Um, getting it from restaurants, supermarkets, even catering companies. And so the day that I was volunteering there, I was actually, my task that day was making a, a big pot of pasta. Not terribly difficult work, so I had a good chance to look around. And I kept seeing all these really nice looking cuts of meat and beautiful produce that people were bringing by. And these were all things that had been destined for the waste bin. So the epiphany I had that day was, well, what happens in cities and towns that don't have that kind of food recovery operation? And how much food is falling between the cracks nationwide? So I set out to answer those questions. I started the blog, Wasted Food, and that led to my book. And since that time, I've had the opportunity, since the publication of my book, I've had the opportunity to travel around and give talks like this one. And I really enjoy getting feedback and, and having a bit of a dialogue on the topic because I spent so long working in isolation, writing and researching. So definitely if, if things come up in the course of tonight's talk, um, there'll be a chance to, to talk afterwards. Um, there'll be a book signing out in the hall. So anyhow, probably more than you wanted to know about me. But let's move along. So tonight, what I'm going to do is four things. I'm going to give you a sense on how much food is wasted, why it happens, some of the reasons there, why it matters, and what we can do about it. The all-important what we can do about it. Okay, so on a big picture level, the best estimate we have is that 40% Four zero. Forty percent of all the food produced in this country is not used. So that means all of the food raised and grown in the United States does not end up being eaten. And it certainly adds up. It's about 160 billion pounds and comes at a pretty hefty cost, as you can see. And closer to home, about a quarter of the food we bring into our homes is not eaten. So 
I just ran a bunch of numbers by you, but pictures definitely speak louder than words, and oftentimes numbers. So what does that actually look like? Well, every day, America is wasting enough food to fill the Rose Bowl, which is this tiny little 90,000-seat stadium. And to speak your language a little more, yes, it would definitely fill up your local football stadium. Um, so we're quite good at creating waste. No way around that. But where is all this waste coming from? Well, the short answer is all throughout the food chain. It starts out on farms, where many times food items don't end up leaving the farm for various reasons. Uh, these pears that you see here were things that were just left to rot under a tree in an orchard I visited in California because they didn't quite look right. The waste continues on to the supermarket level. And this is a picture from behind the store where I worked in doing research for the book. And uh, these were all goods that had reached their sell-by date. So the store just pitched them. The waste continues on to restaurants and cafeterias uh, for many reasons we'll get into later. And then it certainly does not end at the household level, where we often stock our refrigerators so full that there's no choice but to, to waste food. We have no way of using everything before it goes bad. And in case you're wondering how I got a picture of your refrigerator, <laughs> let's just say I have my ways. OK, so what's going on here? Why are we wasting so much food? There are five main reasons that we'll talk about sequentially, but basically food is cheap, food is abundant. The portions in this country have gotten out of control. There's a certain superficiality with our food, and we have lost some of our food knowledge. All right, so let's start with the first one. Food is cheap. Now, <laughs> I don't know what you guys are laughing at. <laughs> uh, I love this picture because it, it conveys how food is inexpensive. It doesn't get much cheaper than 99 cents a pound. And it has that nice bit of cultural insensitivity. <laughs> but on a more serious note, you might be wondering, you know, hey, hold on a sec. Food is cheap every day. When I go to the supermarket, it seems prices have gone up. And that is true. Food prices have increased. But when you look at the percentage of household spending that we dedicate toward food, it's at an all-time low. It's about 7%. And no other nation in the world spends less on food. So that definitely has an impact in how we value or don't value our food. And I should say that this cheapness is an artificial one. Uh, propped up by subsidies that go toward commodity crops. So food probably should be more expensive, just as gasoline probably should be. But I'm not here arguing that food should be more expensive. That's not something I, I want to do. All right, moving along. It's a little bit hard to see that slide, but it's talking about abundance. And this is a truckload of sweet potatoes that 
have been recovered or gleaned from a grower near me in North Carolina. And every year, the United States produces about twice the amount of food that we need when you look at it on a calorie per person level. So scenarios like this one where a farm is, is producing just way more than they need to produce, uh, that's happening all across the, the, the country. And the thing about these kind of gleaning outings is that in this particular day, we were out there for a few hours, but we could have gleaned the rest of the day, maybe two, three, four days, and still not rescued all those sweet potatoes. So the, the sheer abundance that, that many growers have um, is, is just staggering. And oftentimes it's happening for economic reasons. Uh, stuff not being harvested occurs for economic reasons beyond that farmer's control. But at the same time, that food should be harvested and should get to those who need it. The other thing about abundance is that food is everywhere we look. And certainly at supermarkets, the displays are brimming. And we've reached a point where food is, is really all across the retail environment. So you go into the convenience store, there's food. You go into the gas station, sure, plenty of food. But now it's even in pharmacies, big box retailers. It's hard to avoid. So that creates this notion in our minds that we don't have to treat our food with care or be cautious with it. The next real reason for waste is the portions in this country. I'm not really sure what that is a picture of. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it involves eggs and cheese, and I'm almost positive that it's more calories than one person should eat in a meal, if not a day. But scenes like this are becoming increasingly common, and we're often put in this position where we can either overeat or waste food. Now, there is a, a, a more enlightened third way of, of taking home leftovers, but you might not be going straight home, or you might not like leftovers. So uh, hopefully restaurants won't put us in that position. But unfortunately, more and more, we're seeing that as the norm. And that idea of, of what's a sensible amount of food to eat uh, has been influenced by these massive restaurant portions, and it's creeping into our homes when we serve our families and, and serve guests. Just to illustrate the pervasiveness of, of these large portions, I was driving along not too far from my house, and I, I saw this sign. And I couldn't believe the, the overtness of, of using portion size as the real driver. Um, I mean, there are, I had a few other thoughts as well, but <laughs> I won't share those here. I'm not a fan of that place. Let's, let's clarify that. Okay, uh, moving along. Superficiality, that's the, the fourth real driver of waste. And when I say superficiality, what I mean is we've reached this point where appearance trumps taste with food. And we want everything to look perfect, like that display of apples. So anything that's the wrong size, shape, or color, or has perhaps a slight imperfection, is cast aside somewhere throughout the food chain. Now, when I worked at the supermarket, my boss told me to cull through these displays, and anything that, that didn't look 
perfect or immaculate, I was told to to take off the shelf and and use, and well, I was hoping that there would be a later use for it, but it turned out that was not happening. But in talking to people from other cultures and other countries, this idea that America does not know what a paring knife is uh, does not sit well. But but that's where we are today. And finally, the the fifth real cause of waste is a a loss of food knowledge. We've gotten away from the kitchen a bit. We haven't had some of those traditional food ways and food knowledge passed down from generation to generation. And so we've reached a point where we're not really sure if a food item is good or not. And into that void steps warnings like this one that I received on a a box of food that I took home from a restaurant, when in doubt, throw it out. Now, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that already. I don't don't think we need any more help in that direction. But in the smaller print even above that, it says use within 24 hours, which to me is is just the height of lunacy. Um, But when we don't have an idea on when something's good or not, because we, we haven't been taught about food quality and food safety, and, and not in a technical way, but just in a passed down way, then you know, we're not gonna take that chance. And the other thing that, that steps into that void are expiration dates. And um, these are, are eggs, individual eggs with dates stamped on them. How do they get that date? Do they ask the chicken? Who knows? But there's a fair amount of caution built into those dates. And so when you treat that expiration date as the gospel truth, you're going to be throwing away a lot of good food. You guys probably have, have heard that about expiration dates, that, that you don't really need to pay attention to them, but uh, you might not know that the only thing required to have an expiration date by the federal government, by the Food and Drug Administration, is infant formula. So for all of those other products, it's, uh, it's by choice. And when I think about the ubiquity of expiration dates, uh, certainly the, the shelf-stable items come to mind. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you are, are buyers of bottled water. Um, hopefully not, given the, uh, the other implications, but they're used by dates on that. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've never had bad water or expired water. But anyhow, that's the, the impression that many people have. And just to, to illustrate how we're approaching goods past their use-by date, I get a kick out of this little comic. It's, I'll read it because it's hard to, to make out. The most creative marketing technique for merchandise past its expiration date award. And the, the winning slogan is, take a walk on the wild side. And there's this idea that we're really taking our lives into our own hands when we eat something a minute past midnight on the, the date on that package. All right. So why should I care? You might be asking yourself that question. And I had that very question put to me by an editor from New York from the New York Times at a conference. And I, I had the good fortune to, to tell him about my research. This was kind of at the beginning of, of working on this topic. I was real jazzed about this idea of, of writing about food waste, but I hadn't quite thought it through yet. So 
you know, I told him what I was up to and I said, I'm really excited about it. And he said, okay, yeah, food waste sounds pretty interesting, but why do I care? So what? And that's the quintessential editor's question. But I didn't have a great response for him at that time. I wanted to say something like, you know, we should, we should care about waste just because. I mean, isn't it obvious? We shouldn't waste food. Well, anyway, it turns out that's not the stuff of books. But that was really useful for me. Uh, it, it made me go back to the drawing board and, and create that, that intellectual argument for why we shouldn't waste food. So essentially, what I say about this issue now is that we should not waste food because there are ethical, environmental, and economic consequences for that waste. So we'll go through those one by one. All right, the ethics, I believe, are the most important part of this argument here. Now, when, when people think about ethics and food waste, a lot of times what comes to mind is a certain expression. Any guesses? Yeah, waste not, want not. Anything else? Yes, okay, I heard it over there. People are starving in Russia or maybe China. So yeah, clean your plate because there are kids starving somewhere. In, and the country... The country of starving children tends to vary, depending on generation. Um, but so there's there's some value in that statement. I, there's a kernel of truth. There's also a, a bit of a an odd part to it. Uh, it it invites guilt to the dinner table. You should eat all that stuff because kids elsewhere don't have enough to eat. But at that point, it's not really going to help those kids if you eat what's all that's on your plate. And as we saw with portion sizes, maybe it, it might be harmful to eat all on your plate. But anyway, getting back to that, that kernel of truth, uh, there is something wrong with throwing out as much food as we do when so many people go without. It's just a question of thinking about that before it gets on your plate. Anyway, I like to put it this way. It is morally callous to throw out as much food as we do when so many Americans struggle to find enough to eat. So people think about hunger in America, and they think about a 1930s bread line, or in this case, a coffee and donuts line, which sounds pretty cool, actually. But, uh, but uh, hunger in America is not history. It's anything but, as many of you in this room know. And what I call the disgrace of plenty is that juxtaposition of, of hunger and waste. And to live in a country of unprecedented wealth and still have 15% or 50 million Americans not sure where their next meal is coming from at certain times just does not sit well with me. It doesn't make any sense. And then add to that equation the waste that we have and it adds up to a food system that is broken. And it's not as if it would be that challenging to solve this problem if, if, if there were the political and cultural will to do so. Uh, so you see up there, redistributing just 2% of all the food that we waste currently would 
get all of those food insecure Americans above that hunger line. And, and just to put a, a couple of faces here um, to show that you know hunger is anything but theoretical, this is a, a couple I had the chance to talk to in doing research for the book, and this is Roy and Diane, who live in North Carolina. Uh, they had been homeless for a few years off and on, and in talking to them about that, Diane was, was tearing up, just telling me about her experience with being hungry and, and the pain of that, and and the, the emotional hurt of having to beg for food and, and not coming up with food at times. So it's, it's a good point here to, to remember that there is hunger all around us, despite that wealth. All right, shifting gears a little bit. When we think about the environmental consequences of wasting food, there are two main factors. Number one, the resources that, that go into our food that are then squandered, and then the methane emissions. So starting with that first one, the waste of resources, uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of natural resources, mostly oil, that go into producing our food. Oil is embedded in our food chain from harvesting to fertilizing to processing, cooling, shipping, cooking, off down the line until then we're done with that food, we throw it out, and the diesel used to haul that food off to the landfill uh, is, is even more use of oil. And so that represents a real loss of energy, a loss of resources, and a conservative estimate on that is that 2% of all U.S. energy consumption is embedded in the food that we currently throw out. Now, 2% of U.S. energy consumption is a massive amount, but 2% as a figure doesn't sound all that impressive, um, not all that attention-grabbing. So I like to put it another way. You probably remember the Deepwater Horizon oil leak from a few years back. Well, certainly an ecological disaster, but every year we are squandering 70 times that amount of oil through the food that we throw out. And the other resource that we're wasting at uh, a scary clip is water. And water is becoming an increasingly scarce natural resource to the point that California is now paying farmers not to farm in some cases because they will use so much water. So to, to have 90% of U.S. water use going toward agriculture and then wasting about 40% of, of that stuff that we grow? Well, I'll let you do the math on that, but it's not a pretty picture. All right, and the second environmental topic here is methane. Um, methane, for those of you who don't know, is a greenhouse gas that's about 25 times as potent at trapping heat as CO2. Uh, so what happens is we send food to the landfill, and food is, is the number one source of landfill methane. And as you can see there, methane from landfills, uh, landfills are the number two source for emissions in the U.S. So put simply, we are aiding climate change from our kitchen waste bins. And that image there is a passive methane vent at a landfill near me. 
and it's just slowly emitting methane into the atmosphere. Now, the newer landfills are required to have some sort of collection system, but even those are quite inefficient, and roughly half of, of the landfill methane gas escapes. Put even in, in even simpler terms, it's not a good idea to be sending food to the landfill. We are, are creating a problem, and that's not terribly surprising because we're essentially using a Stone Age technique of digging a hole in the ground and putting stuff in it. So I think we can find a better way there. All right, and the last topic here, uh, from an economic standpoint, it's not a great use of resources for a country or family or individuals to be throwing away food. Uh, quick estimates here, you know, I mentioned $240 billion nationally that's being wasted, and on a household level, the average family of four is throwing away about $2,200 worth of groceries. Um, now, I should point out, we're never going to completely eliminate food waste, so it's not as if we could recoup all of that expenditure, but at the same time, we can do a whole lot better. And especially in, in this day and age, uh, with the, the tight budgets left and right, uh, it seems like something we should be focusing on. All right, so now comes the important thing. What can we do about it? Well, there are a couple things. I'm going to break this down into to two sections. They're sort of the society-wide changes and then individual changes that you can can have in your life. Now, there's a useful mantra, reduce, reuse, recycle, which is uh, a very Wesleyan-friendly phrase. Um, the problem with that is that people focus on the recycle part of it because it's the easiest thing to do. And the reduce part of that saying is, is the first saying, the, the first item in that, and it's at the top of the hierarchy. And it's the most important thing, but it's the hardest to, to get people to change their behavior. But um, hopefully we can actually make, make strides toward that. Now the EPA has, has put out this helpful EPA food waste recovery hierarchy, which is kind of a mouthful. But it's useful in that it, it applies that mantra in a hierarchical hierarchical way. So source reduction right up top there, trying to trim the amount of food waste we're creating. Um, if we can't do that, then we should be feeding hungry people. If that isn't happening, we should be feeding animals, probably livestock. If we can't do that, under underneath there, industrial uses, that hazy term could mean making energy from our waste or rendering. And under that, if we can't do any of the above, we should be composting. But unfortunately, 97% of the food waste created in America ends up in a landfill. So we're not doing a fabulous job of following that hierarchy. All right, so big picture changes. What can we do here? There are a few legislative shifts I'd love to see. If I, uh, in the book I, I talk about, if, if I only had one wish, or my top wish would be banning organic waste from the landfill, so making it illegal to throw out food. 
And I think that would have a dramatic impact back through the food chain at every level in how we approach food. And it's not as if that's a, a total pipe dream. They've enacted that in several European countries. Uh, they've done that in Norway and uh, in Canada as well, in Nova Scotia. So uh, certainly something to aspire to. Um, the other thing that's happened in Europe is that they've set a firm waste reduction, food waste reduction goal, uh, reducing waste by 50% by the year 2025. And uh, California has done a similar thing with waste in general, but not specific to food waste. But when there is that goal, it, it helps businesses prioritize uh, that reduction of waste. I'd also love to see streamlined tax deductions for people who do currently donate. A lot of farms uh, are donating food but don't bother to take the, the tax benefits because it's a real hassle. Smaller farms aren't allowed to, uh, the unincorporated farms. So we should give people credit when they do donate food to those who need it. And then finally, funding gleaning operations. Uh, I'd love to see a, a kind of nationwide gleaning initiative similar to AmeriCorps getting idealistic and energetic young folks out there in the fields to, to do the work and, and organize community groups to get out there more to rescue that food that would otherwise be plowed under and healthy food at that. All right, this guy here, his name is Joel Berg and he was the USDA food recovery coordinator in the late 90s. His position was not renewed when the Clinton administration left office, and it has not been filled since. So my point here is, in a federal apparatus of about two million people, is it too much to ask to have one person whose job it is to think about reducing food waste or redistributing some of our excess? I think the answer is no. Um, all right, the other... The last two things that I'd love to see is, is better data. The last time the USDA had a comprehensive look at how much food is being wasted was 1997, and that was using 1995 numbers. I was still in high school then, uh, so I think we're about due. And what's happened is in the UK, uh, by contrast, they've really emphasized researching this topic and spreading the word with really neat graphics and, and um, awareness campaigns like you see here. Um, you know, they found that a third of, of the food brought home isn't used. And they have a, a pair who's, who's sad about that. Which I always find a little bit strange because <laughs> you'd think he'd be happy his friends weren't being eaten. <laughs> but anyway, it's a minor technicality. Uh, the last thing I'd love to see on a, a, a larger level is a public awareness campaign like my friend Woodsy the Owl got, got kids to, uh, to keep pollution out of the woods and, and stop littering, or even something like the Litterbug campaign. Um, anything to, to get the general public, and especially kids, thinking about food waste as a problem and to get people thinking about how they can avoid wasting food. All right, so now I'm going to, to point the finger out there a little bit and, and, and tell you guys what I think you can be doing to, to help solve this issue. If you're only going to do one thing, if you're going to leave here tonight remembering only one thing, 
on how you can avoid waste in your lives, it would be to become a smarter shopper and avoid this situation here. Avoid that stuffed refrigerator where you have no choice or you, it's impossible to use all that food before it goes bad. Um, so a couple of, of ways to do that. If you guys like shopping, if you don't mind, then maybe more frequent, smaller trips will help. Um, if you don't mind, or sorry, if you, if you do mind going to the store, then maybe you make that detailed shopping list and stick to it. Just beware. If you let your kids make the shopping list, they might put weird things on it, like snakes. <laughs> Which I think was supposed to be snacks, but I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, in all seriousness, uh, you know, if, if you're going to make that weekly shopping run, which sometimes gets us into trouble because we, we buy so much food, uh, you know, meal planning and, and making the list, sticking to it is important. Um, I try to be a little more flexible in my house and I end up going to the store a lot, but uh, that doesn't work for everyone. Maybe you live, well, no one here lives that far from a store, but you know, people who live far from a store, there's the fuel consumption issue. Anyway, you'll find a system that works for you if you're thinking about it. All right, uh, the next thing here is, is to think about portion size. Uh, this might be a bit of an extreme. Uh, that might be pushing it a little too far, but definitely avoid this. And um, what I'd love to see is, is to maybe let people serve themselves or to to serve a more reasonable amount at home and make it culturally and, and physically easy to take seconds. Um, when, when we're allowed to customize the amount of food we get, we tend to do better and not waste as much. You're probably not surprised to hear this next one, but I would recommend you ignore expiration dates. Now, my lawyers would have me uh, put an asterisk there um, that, you know, I didn't actually say that, but um, <laughs> but I did. So I think we as people will know when, when food has gone bad. We as humans who have developed over millennia uh, to, to have a reaction, whether it's seeing something or smelling it or, or even tasting it, you'll know when things aren't right. Um, if, you've, if you're not sure if you've ever had bad milk, you have not. Um, but these expiration dates, as I mentioned, they get us into trouble uh, you know, when we treat them as, as the ultimate authority because they count for that worst-case scenario, as I mentioned, or close to it. And uh, actually, quick Maryland story. Uh, I was doing research for the book at a place called Growls, which is, uh, yeah, you know that place, small chain in Maryland. As I was talking to the produce manager, she was, was taking these little bags of carrots apart that had an expiration date of, of that day on it and funneling them into the store-made veggie trays. And, and I didn't feel like she was getting away with anything. This, it's not like she was giving her customers bad food. And she's been in the business for 20 years. She knows that those carrots are perfectly fine. But the, the Bunny Love Company or whoever it was would love for you to, if you had that in your home, to throw it out and buy another one. So um, something to be cautious of. 
Uh, the next thing here is to connect with your food. And any way we can get our kids especially connected to where their food comes from, uh, it'll make it even harder for them to waste that food. So whether it's growing your own, buying at the farmer's market, or, or even just cooking with them, uh, I think that will, will go a long way toward eliminating that disconnection that we see with many kids. Um, you know, meat does not come from the store in styrofoam packaging, shrimp wrapped. It comes from an animal, um, things like that. And carrots grow in the ground, underground. It's fascinating. Um, but it's also kind of fun to experience that with kids. But any way we can have our schools be part of that uh, through school garden programs, I would, I would only encourage that. All right, next, I'd love to see us make doggy bags cool. Now, these doggy bags themselves are, are pretty neat, but I'm not talking about that kind. And definitely not talking about this kind of doggy bag, <laughs> but more about this kind. Taking leftovers home from a restaurant, it has to become the, the green thing to do in addition to the sensible thing to do. Um, you know, we've paid for that food, why wouldn't you take it home? But now that you know that it's probably going to be thrown out if you don't, uh, there's all the more reason to do so. And in writing this book, I had to do a bit of uh, anthropology, or armchair anthropology, uh, on, on why people don't take food home from restaurants, because I'm certainly someone who is a leftover lover. And it was interesting. I had to to really dig on that. But I, mean, I think certain people just don't care for that food the next day. Um, and, and if you are one of those people, then it becomes all the more imperative to order accordingly and, and to try and eliminate that position where, where you have a half full plate of food. Or you could always take that food and, and give it to a homeless person. Um, it's probably not the best strategy. It's probably better to donate money to, say, the United Way. But, um, but anyway, it's certainly better than throwing it out. All right. There's two more things that I'll have you do. Any chance you get to volunteer, um, get out into the fields and go gleaning. It's a great opportunity to, to experience the farm life as you don't know it. Uh, the United Way, working with Magnet, the Mid-Atlantic Gleaning Network, they operate these gleaning outings. And um, it's, it's just a, a neat chance to get into a different setting than you normally would find yourselves. And you get to rescue food and get it to people who need it. Uh, but there's, there's all kinds of opportunities there. And, and also with food recovery organizations, the Maryland Food Bank uh, does some food recovery at the retail level. Um, but, but definitely visit the, uh, the United Way of Central Maryland site to, to find out about how you can do some gleaning. And finally, if we can't do anything else, with that food, we should be composting it. I don't know about you, but when the earth talks, I listen. <laughs> so it's not that difficult. Uh, as you heard, I'm not a great composter, but I do okay, and I'm keeping that food out of the landfill, and that's my main objective. So hopefully, you know, you as individuals can, can make that happen in concert with seasoned towns 
doing curbside composting. Um, and so you guys can advocate for change there and, and ask a representative why there isn't composting in your city or town. Because it actually could save the municipality money through waste disposal. And you have a usable product at the end in addition to the environmental benefits and, and you know keeping those nutrients in the system. All right, I am going to send you home with a challenge. We talked a little bit about how a quarter of the food we bring home isn't used. Well, the next time you're in the store, try buying about a quarter less. I think you'll find that, that you have less food to waste and you probably, as an added bonus, will be wasting less, or sorry, will be overeating uh, less. And so there's dual benefits there. And with that saved money, you can, who knows, donate that money to, to institutions or charities who are doing the, the kind of good work in, in spreading the wealth. So just to, to impress upon you the stakes here, in case you haven't uh, been impressed enough on the graveness of food waste. In 2050, they say there are going to be 9 billion of us on this planet. It's a lot of zeros. It's also a lot of mouths to feed. When people think about those numbers, they automatically think about increased production, 70% increased production is one estimate I've, I've heard. And they, they talk about using GMO crops to, to get our yields up. But no one seems to focus on efficiency and being more efficient with the food we have. So sooner or later, if we're all going to live happily on this planet, we're going to have to be more efficient with that food supply. We're going to have to do it either sooner or later. My vote would be for sooner. With that, I thank you very much for your time. You've been a great audience. So I guess I'm going to, to sign books out in the hall, and uh, I'd love to, to answer any questions while doing that. And thanks again, guys. How many people feel like you learned something really important tonight? Look at the hands. Just amazing. Um, this is the plan, uh, the land of pleasant living in Maryland. Uh, we are, we have abudanza, as my wife would say in Italian. Um, we have our bull roast and our crab feasts, and we have so much food around us. We also have so much scarcity. I know Dennis is here from the, uh, our daily bread, and more meals every day, it seems like. Franciscan Center, more and more meals being served to people in need, and there's so much that's going to waste that we could recover and recycle. Um, much to consider. If you are interested in getting closer to the food and connecting children to it in particular, come to uwcm.org, look for our volunteer opportunities, first fruit farms, other gleaning events that we have. You get potatoes right out of the ground, beans right off of the plants, apples, whatever, and uh, almost every time, our healthy food ambassador, Molly Shattuck, right here, every time we do these things, we sell out, 150 people every time, but it's an amazing, amazing opportunity, so please come down. Thank you, Jonathan, for being here. Uh, so much. We learned about how to eat, how to buy, how to dispose of food, reduce, reuse, recycle, uh, and we can make a difference in this problem. So thank you again for joining us and come back to Baltimore often.